I'm Robert Weimer of Real Life in the Word, a ministry that seeks to bring a light into the darkness with the scriptures. To learn more about me, the show, past shows, and how you can support the ministry, you can go to robertweimer.com. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-W-I-M-E-R.com. Now, let's deep dive into the Word of God. Okay, let us get into this by starting off with our scripture reading. And I'm taking two passages within Paul's letters, and we're going to recognize each one of these, and it definitely pertains to the passage here. Now now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible may put on incorruptible, or must put on incorruptible, and this mortal must put on immortality. For when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And taken from 1 Thessalonians But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that he who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with a voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And we're familiar with these passages all too well. And it is with this we are going to discuss the rapture. And I want to start off with a story. One spring day, I decided to go for a walk. Decide is rather a funny word. It's, It's a habit by now. I go out on a walk with a friend of mine. And on the walk, our routine is basically this. We we go to High V, we get something to eat, and then from there we make our way around town. And the whole path usually takes about, oh, an hour, an hour and a half. So we start off really early. Now, my friend is, he's a good guy. We talk about a whole myriad of stuff. We, we talk about the news. We talk about, you know, high school days and things that we're doing. We get into nerd stuff. We talk about Star Trek, Star Wars. He's a, he's a Star Wars buff. I'm a Star Trek buff. And we get into nerd stuff. But invariably, near the end of the walk, the discussion always turns to religion. 
And my friend, he's a Christian, and he just, he seems to just, I don't know if he purposefully steers the conversation in this direction, but I, I don't, or maybe I do, I really don't know. But at the end of it, we talk about religion, we talk about Jesus, we talk about the Bible, you know, I'm, I'm not into it and things like that, but he is. And I wish that I never would have showed him how to set up Google Alerts because it seems like ever since that he has found out how to do that, he has become an expert in, in just about everything from the standpoint of politics, from the standpoints of Middle Eastern affairs, and especially with Israel, especially with Jerusalem. And so it happens that the day, the morning that we go on our walk, he comes to knock on my door and as I'm answering the door my TV is on and I turn and look at the TV and my heart stopped. CNN reported that Damascus has been destroyed, utterly and completely destroyed by the friendly terrorist state known as Israel. They nuked it and in one night there were people in Damascus and then the next night it was no more. Made a heap. No one would live there. Well, I lost my appetite. And my friend was out there, my Christian friend was out there whistling a chipper hymn. And so I let him in and um, he saw that there was something going on with me. And he looked at me and said, what's wrong? And I looked at him and I said, haven't you seen the news? Haven't you seen what's going on? Damascus is destroyed. And he said, yeah. He said, yeah, I I saw that. I never thought that it would happen this quickly or this soon, but there it was. And I in turn looked at him and said, oh, don't tell me. Let me guess. Bible prophecy. Things are happening the way that they're supposed to happen. And I was talking to him about this sort of venting what was going on. I saw on the news that not only was that happened, but also armies were starting to mass around, around Jerusalem. I mean, they had armies from Russia, from Turkey, from China, from Iran. All of them were starting to surround the city. And um, he looked at me and he said, well, yeah, it, it is Bible prophecy, but I get it. You don't want to hear about it right now, so we won't talk about it. He said, and, and he's always good about that. He didn't press the issue. You know, we talked about Christian stuff, but he, if he saw things were getting a little hot, a little tense, he'd always back off a little bit. So he wasn't a jerk about it. <clears throat> so he said, let's just go ahead and get something to eat and let's go on our walk. And I told him, I said, you know, I, I don't have an appetite, but I need to walk. I need to walk. I need to, you know, get off this energy, get this energy out of me. So that's fine, he said. That's fine. And so from where we were, we sort of circumvented our natural path around town so we started kind of at the halfway point, and what we're going to do is we're going to make our way up to the elementary school, you know, via the cemetery that's there, make our way down to Hy-Vee, and then start the path. It would be a longer walk, but I needed the walk. I needed to get rid of this excess energy. And so we were walking, and I, I was mulling over in my head. You know, this the friendly terrorist state, you know, is, is the U.S. supported Israel. I don't know why, but we supported Israel. They destroyed all these people. And, you know, I wanted to say something, but I knew it was going to gear towards the Bible stuff again. And my friend would stop it, but he didn't say a word. Not all this time. He was he kind of sensed that I was upset. So we made our way 
up to elementary school and we passed by the cemetery and I looked at my friend and he jumped. And I was like, I've never seen him jump before. And he was looking up and looking all around. And I mean, this was strange because he, he doesn't get startled all that easy. And he asked me, he said, did you hear that? And I said, hear what? And it was at the, at the end of that sentence, the earth started moving. It, it started shaking. And I was looking around for some place to go because I thought an earthquake in Missouri. I mean, it's happened before, but an earthquake in Missouri. And I looked around. I tried to find a spot. And then I looked at the cemetery and I saw it. I could not believe what I saw. I saw the cemetery explode. The cemetery explode, and all of a sudden, the, ca- the caskets that were there just rose up out of the ground, and people that came up out of them were beautiful. They were beautiful people. I, I just, I mean, I had to ignore what was going on around. I just was fixated on all the people that were, that were rising up out of the graves. And they took a brief look around, and then they looked up and they smiled, and in an instant, they were gone. Now, sweat started coming over my body, and I turned to my friend, who, who was silent all the time. I turned to my friend, I looked, I said, did you see that? He was gone. Now, if we were taking that story that I just said and making it into a made-for-TV movie, it would read based on actual events. This is a scenario that will happen, maybe not in the order from the standpoint of Syria, uh, you know, uh, Damascus being destroyed, but that's in the Bible. Not from the standpoint of the army surrounding Israel, you know, all of those bam, bam, bam before the rapture, but they will happen. <clears throat> it is my contention that they will happen. We will see these things happen before the rapture. But my story was taking the place from my perspective of a non-believer. I mean, you know, obviously I'm a believer in all of this. So I was giving you a scenario of what would happen and what would most likely happen in Trenton. You know, the cemetery that you can see from S.M. Rissler Elementary School, you can see it from the playground, which I always thought was a little foreboding. (laughs) But um, you can see it from the playground. And what will happen in that instance whenever the rapture happens is that the dead will rise first. And that we who are like him, we who are Christians, Adam's rib will go up with them to meet them in the air. Now, the rapture is the most contested piece of Bible um, literature, Bible teaching within the Christian faith. There are many within the body of Christ that don't believe that it will occur. There are many that will take several different variations. They believe that it will either occur before the tribulation period, before the seven years that um, God will judge the world and bring the people of Israel back to him. It will occur either before or it will occur at the midpoint or it will occur at the very end. Um, I am taking the place and I will make my case that the rapture will occur before the tribulation period. And um, we have but to look 
not necessarily in the New Testament, but we have to look in the Old Testament. And so I'm going to take a defense from a rather different perspective than a lot of ministers will go from, and they go into the Greek, and they go into the fact that we are not appointed to wrath, which is true, but I'm taking it into God's nature. How does God deal with dispensing punishment to the wicked while the righteous are in proximity? Well, let's go ahead and hit on some points here. Now, the points that we're going to discuss today is pre, mid, and post-rapture, like I said, What will happen to us, us that have been raptured? What's going to happen to us immediately afterwards? And then the evidence of the rapture from the Old Testament. So let's go ahead and take a look at the pre, mid, or post um, issues that are there. Now, Jesus himself said that there is going to be a rapture. There is going to be something that is going to occur. He said that in his Olivet Discourse, which we find in Matthew and in Mark's accounts. Now, I'm not going to be going through all of these simply because of the thing of time, but the sermon will be made available online and all the scriptural resources that I'm talking about will be found there. You can go and look and study for yourselves. But we have a little bit of a misunderstanding as to what's going on in in Matthew and in Mark's account. The the tribulation, or as in the Old Testament, talking about Jacob's sorrow or Jacob's distress, Jacob being renamed Israel, is for the Jews only. It is only during that time that God is going to be focusing for seven years on Israel to bring those that... Do not know Jesus to him. That is the only instance. And this is the reality of the fact. Those that are left that are not Jewish, they ain't coming. They're they're here. Now, I know the LaHaye movies and the books speak of evangelism that will happen, but the 144,000 that is stated in Revelation that God will seal before he unleashes a lot of punishment where the 144,000 will not be harmed by any of the punishments that will occur, they are going to be going out and evangelizing towards the house of Israel. To me, in my heart, I honestly hope that the people who might have called themselves atheists or Buddhists or unfortunately Christians might come around, but God is focusing on Israel and Israel alone. And it's within that point that within the Olivet Discourse, and you can read it in last week's lesson, the Olivet Discourse speaks of a gathering of his people. And we read in Matthew, And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of earth to the other. And that's found in Matthew twenty four thirty one. And then we get into Mark thirteen twenty seven, And he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. And it's in reading these passages that a lot of people will say, well, this will happen either at the midpoint or at the very end of the tribulation. And that's understandable. But that's at the end of the tribulation. 
And all you have to do to understand that is to read the preceding verses before these. So Matthew reads, and these are the verses that preceded the ones in Matthew and Mark, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. That's referencing to when Jesus is about to touch down. He's about to touch down. He's about to come back. And that's at the end of the tribulation. And then from that testament, we go into Matthew's account. And he will gather his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and so forth and so on. So it's at the end of the tribulation. So this is referring to the Jews that have come to Jesus, either through the evangelists, the 144,000, or more than likely, and this will be a big one, at the midpoint The Antichrist is going to stand in the rebuilt temple, in Ezekiel's temple. He will declare himself God. You know, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus makes mention of of Daniel, that the abomination will stand in the temple, that the readers understand. He refers back to Daniel. They will see what's going on, and they say, well, wait a minute. Daniel said this, and the Jews are going to understand So they'll come to Christ either through the evangelism or they will come to Christ through witnessing the beast who is seen as a good guy during that tribulation calling himself God. And they're going to be clued in. So he's referring to gathering his elect during the time of the tribulation. And we find evidence of that in Mark in the preceding verses. But in those days, after that tribulation... The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers of the heaven will be shaken and so forth and so on. So that sort of puts to rest if we read prophecy the way that we're supposed to be, not from the standpoint of an allegory, but from the standpoint of actual events that will occur, we can see that he is gathering his elect. All throughout the Bible, the Jews are referred to as the elect. Now, we're grafted in, but we're not here. We're not here. We're, we're up. We're gone. We're elsewhere. We're not suffering this wrath. So we move on. What happens to us after the rapture? Okay, so there, there, are, contention, there are different contention points as to whether we who are living will be going up in our bodies or whether we will just drop dead and our spirits will go up. In either event, we're going up. So really, it's, it's a secondary issue. So we're not going to be here anymore. Now, there are many within the body of Christ that have really misunderstood what's going to happen with regard to judgment. Christians will not stand in front of Jesus in the white throne judgment near the end of the millennial kingdom. In um, Revelation 20, it talks about the millennial kingdom. And then what's going to happen is the white throne judgment. Now, the white throne judgment is for all the non-believers. We will not stand with them. But we will stand before Jesus to give an accounting as to what's happened in our lives, good or bad. And we will get our rewards therein. And I get this from 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15, 
For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed to how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay that by which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. The day being the day in which Jesus comes back, the day of whenever we are standing before him. will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. So all of our works that we have done in the here and now and all the things that we're thinking up here, all of that from the standpoint of a spiritual sense is going to come into a basket (laughs) and it's going to be thrown on the fire and then it's going to be tested. will come by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. That meaning kingdom work talking about Jesus, talking about how we spend our time. Are we spending our time with the Lord? Are we spending our time in prayer and in the Bible and all of those things, going out and spreading the word of God, going out and doing the things that Jesus said to do, that it will be tested. They're jewels. They will survive the fire. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Okay, so those types of work are like what I do. Um, I go on social media and just post, post, post and, and go on YouTube and watch, watch, watch the Avengers and things like that. That's, that's straw. That's dirt. That's, that's going to be burned away because, you know, I'm sorry, but God doesn't care about the Avengers Infinity War. Though it was an awesome movie, but he doesn't care about those things. And in second Corinthians five, nine through 10, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, not the white throne judgment, but the judgment seat of Christ. Two different forms. We're getting our rewards. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Okay? So it's, it's there. So whenever we're raptured, we're going to be standing in front of the Lord. And, you know, there's going to be some tears. I know I've missed opportunities to talk about the Lord with other people. And, you know, he's going to say, okay, hey, you know what? It's burned away, but this is the reward that you have. We already have a reward by being saved. That's, that's the talent, the parable of the workers that came early in the, fin, in the vineyard and the workers that came late. They all received their reward, same reward. That's our reward for coming to the cross. But then we have another set of rewards for the things that we have done now. This right now, I do it for the love. It's a gifting. But this is going to be one of the rewards that's waiting for me. I'm teaching. I'm talking about the gospel. People who are playing music for God, they're doing that. People who are working and thinking about God, how would Jesus do that? That's going to be their reward. So that's what's going to be happening to us afterwards. So let's go back into the Old Testament. And this is the thing that we often miss, that there is evidence in the Old Testament as to why um, as to why God will do what he has done. And we have but to look 
And this is a spot where you're going to be looking up Scripture on, on the page I provide. God's nature cannot be changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how did God handling how did God handle the righteous in the Old Testament whenever there was wicked people all around? Okay, we have to look for several examples. The first being Noah, and Jesus made mention of Noah. So the world at that time in Genesis 6 was utterly wicked. I mean, think about it. There every desire and everything in a human's heart was completely depraved. So God was going to send a flood. He's going to start all over. Sands, Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. So he commanded them to build an ark. We know this story. Okay? So he saved the only righteous people that were on earth at that time by having them build an ark. Okay. Well, <laughs> we run into a problem because um, God can't send a flood again to wash out the world because he said he wouldn't. And God's a God of his word and he's not going to go back on his word. So we fast forward past Noah and past the repopulation of the earth to Abraham, okay? And in Abraham, the angels came to Abraham and they were about to dispense judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, if we remember our Old Testament correctly, Abraham sort of, I don't know, I don't want to use the word confront, but he posed questions to the Lord. And he said, are you going to destroy the righteous, you know, along with destroying the wicked? And remember that portion. You know, Abraham says, hey, if you find 50 people, if you find 40 people, if you find 30, 20, 10, are you, will you spare the city? And God in each and every time said, yes, I'll spare the city for their sakes, for their sakes. That means that righteous people living in the middle of depravity and all of that that was going on, he would spare the city. He would spare judgment if he found those amount of people. So that's his nature. He's sparing the righteous from punishment for their sakes. And so we fast forward later on. The angels came into Sodom and all the men from the different quarters came and wanted to know them. That's not my words. That's in the Bible. But they wanted to know them. And the angels said, Get your family, get your relatives, get everyone that you can, and get out of here. We're going we're gonna to get rid of this place. It's done. It's a done deal. I've seen what's there. I've heard the outcry. I've witnessed it. It is a done deal. We're going to punish them. But I want you, Lot, get your wife and find all of your relatives that you can and get out. And so Lot, all throughout the night, was going through Sodom. And he was saying, hey, man, this is happening right now. you got to get out of here. Come on, let's go. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him. They thought he was foolish, okay? A lot like what the Christians are kind of doing now. Hey, you know, the rapture's coming. Jesus is coming. You know, you need to get right with the Lord if you feel it. And um, they, they're laughing. So Lot's, Lot couldn't find anyone. So the angel said, okay, get out right now. We're, we're about ready to hail down, the, hail down the hammers. I mean, hail down the brimstone. But Lot, Lot says... Please don't do this. I, I've got to make it to the city that's far away. I'm going to die if I don't. And they said, okay. I can't do, the angel said, I can't do anything until you get to this place. So they waited. They waited dispensing judgment until he was in a safe spot. And once he was in a safe spot, boom, it's done. 
So for the sake of two righteous people, of course, one en route got you know, turned into a pillar of salt. The wife looked back. But for Lot and his daughters, they were saved. So there was a geography issue. There, I mean, there was geography. They were saved by going to a different place. Okay, And then we come further ahead to the ten plagues of Egypt. Okay? Whoops, let's go back. We, come, we go ahead to the ten plagues of Egypt. And we see instances that God was separating his people from the Egyptians. Now, the Israelites were living in a land called Goshen. That's where they were. It has borders, it has its things. But if you look down through the ten plagues that God visited upon Egypt, you will see in every instance from the first to the tenth, and a lot of theologians say that the the Israelites had to endure the first three plagues, that is simply not true. If you read in there, God was making an instance. In Egypt, he said, the Egyptians he said, within your borders, within your territories, he was saying, you, I mean, these plagues are going to happen. And it's only within the third plague, I believe, the third plague or the fourth plague, where he says, I am setting aside my people so that you will know that I am the Lord. But if we go by mere wording of that, Well, the plague with the boils didn't make mention of setting aside the Israelites. So if we're going by the logic of the wording was there, can we just assume that God said, okay, Israelites, you're going to be spared the frogs, but you know what? You're going to get the boils. No, that's not God. Because God makes mention of that setting his people aside to Pharaoh just to bring home the point Hey, if you haven't figured it out with these first two plagues, seeing your people getting afflicted and the Israelites not, I'm telling you, I'm setting these people aside because that's God's nature. That's God's nature that we found in Noah. That's God's nature that we found in Abraham. And it's found within the plagues. And within all the plagues, you saw the Israelites not being affected and everyone else was. And darkness, I mean, there was darkness that people could not see and that they could feel. But the Egyptian, but the Israelites, the lights that were there, they were, they were on. They weren't affected. So God was setting aside his people. And so we come to the time of the tribulation. We come to the time of tribulation where God is judging the whole world. The whole world. He is bringing his people there. We have no ark. We have no Goshen. We have no city elsewhere. We have nowhere to go because God's going to judge the whole world. So what's God going to do? He's taking us up. That is the only way that we can escape. Revelation 3.10 talks about that. For I have not appointed you to wrath. We're not going through the punishments. We see persecutions now because of the bad guy. But we're not seeing punishment from the standpoint of God. That was done when we came to Jesus and believed in our hearts that he was Lord and confessed with our mouths that he was raised from the dead. That was done. That's done. God says, okay, 
You're part of the family. I, I don't remember your sins anymore. You're written in the books of life. You don't have to worry about it. You got rewards coming to you. You know, you're good. We're, we're square. That's what he's saying. So we're going to get taken up. You can't ignore. You can't ignore this. And then there are also evidences of a, if you want to think about it, a mini rapture that happened in the Old Testament. There's Enoch. Enoch went and to the Lord. He didn't die. He was taken. And then there's Elijah. Elijah was taken in a whirlwind up. So there's, there's evidence of that. I mean, there's, I mean, it happened to maybe one or two people. And some people will say, well, what about a group? It's like, no, no, no. I said, you're, you're trying to be a lawyer. You're trying to think of, you know, how can I loophole this? But this is what's going to happen to the world throughout that time. And we're going to be avoiding this because we're going to be with the Lord during the rapture. And the people are going to change at that point. And thank goodness I have time to get into that. When I worked at the animal shelter, after I'd come home from a long day, my poor wife had to endure me. Not for the sake of my attitude, but because of the smell. I smelled like 10,000 dogs. 10,000 dogs! <laughs> I smelled horrible. And my poor wife, she had to open up the windows <laughs> because it was there. And it it was there until I went and took a shower or it was there until I left. From the standpoint of the devil and his demons, the Holy Spirit, which dwells on the inside of us, smells. It smells to them. And it talks about that after the restrainer has been lifted, the restrainer being the Holy Spirit, the man of lawlessness will make his presence known. So after the rapture, when there is worldwide chaos going on, here he comes. He's going he's gonna to be there. Because the Holy Spirit, which indwells all of us, will not be on the earth anymore. Because all of the believers will be up. And I used to think of it as like this massive, you know, I got into the whole sci-fi thing. I always thought that the Holy Spirit was like this force field, you know, that surrounded the earth and, and the demons were out there and the devil was like, you know, and it was like repelling off of this force field of the Holy Spirit. But it's not. It's within all of us. So we're walking around from the standpoint of devils and demons with this stink the stink of righteousness from the Holy Spirit that is inside of us. He hates that. But once we're all gone, that stink is gone, and here he comes. And I honestly believe that we are seeing evidence of that to this day. If you look at the Pew Research, you will see that there are less Christians. People may say that they are Christian, but whenever you deep dive into, well, what does that mean? They have a really warped and twisted sense of spirituality. 53, I mean, whenever they talked about pure research, whenever you talk about do you believe in God, 
you know, 80% of them, well, excuse me, 81% of them said, yes, I believe in God. 19% of them said no. But whenever the Pew Research did something different and they say, well, what do you mean by do you believe in God? Do you believe in the God of the Bible, the Morgan Friedman God, as you saw in um, Bruce Almighty and, and all of those movies? Or do you believe in the God of like the Star Wars, the Force, the, the Obi-Wan Kenobi God? You know, this sort of, quasi-New Age force type of higher power type of stuff, the statistics changed and only 53% believed in the God of the Bible while the others sort of went their own particular way. And um, we are seeing people who were really saved, who had the Holy Spirit and they're dying. They're dying off. Unless people are coming to Christ. It talks about an apostasy that will happen. And we're seeing that now. You know, things are not falling apart. They're falling into place. But we're seeing that now. And because there are less people that have the Holy Spirit, this is the reason why we're seeing our world starting to go a little bit more loopy. A little bit more loopy. Because there's less people. And this is, this is my speculation. You can take it for what it's worth. Search the scripture and find that out. But we're starting to see that going on. And if you want to see what the people are going to be like during that world where the tribulation is going on and all the people are gone, go back to the Old Testament and look at King Saul. And look what happened to him after the Lord lifted the spirit from him. He started getting tormented. And then his attitude warped and twisted to the point at which he went after David with a spear. He went after his own son. And then he started even going against his own law and started getting into the occult and started getting into black magic. That's going to happen on a worldwide scale once this is done. And this is the reason it gives us a sense of purpose. We have a deadline. We are not going to be here. We are nearing the end because if we look at technology that is supposed to happen in the future, that's not mentioned in the Bible. That's not mentioned in the end times. We're right at that spot now where all this stuff has happened. And this should give us a sense of imperative that we need to, when opportunity presents itself, when people come to us with questions of Jesus, we need to tell them the good news. We don't need to scare the hell into people, but we just tell the story of what's going on. We tell them, hey, you know, you have questions about Jesus. This is why. This is how you can avoid punishment. That's what we're supposed to be doing because we have a deadline. And I've often wondered, who's going to be the last Christian? Because once that last Christian comes to Jesus, we're done. We're up. And then this occurs. And we can thank God for Jesus for saving us from this. Amen. Thanks for listening, and I hope that you were moved to delve more into God's Word. For past recordings, show notes, links, and scriptural references, as well as other information, you can go to robertweimer.com or any of our social media links, such as SoundCloud. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And for those who are without Jesus, May he knock on your door and may you answer him. Thank you and good day.